it's week three of our uh, shipwreck series. And uh, in this series, we are looking at all the different ships that are in your life and how they were wrecked by one major event in the very beginning of time. So the very first two weeks, we looked at um, the who's of creation, not so much the how's of creation, but the who's. And we saw that there were two who's. The first two was God, and we began to see a picture of who it is that God is, as that was unveiled in Genesis chapter 1. And then last week, we saw the second who of creation, and that was you, right? Each of you were the second who of creation. We saw that we, just like the image of God was important for who God is, were created in that image, and we were created as a reflection of that image. In fact, we saw last week that he created them male and female. It was a picture of God's strength and his protection, the balance that existed of who God is reflected by us, not only in a physical sense, but we talked about it also in a very spiritual sense, and that's who we are. Well, today we're going to continue on with the series, and we're going to see the first ship that is sunk, our relationships, right? In fact, I titled this The Love Boat, right? Your love boat is sunk. And today we're going to look at why that is, how that happened, and we're, going to, we're even going to see that God has a remedy for that. It's going to be a great morning. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up, Genesis chapter 2. Now today is uh, a little bit longer, so hang in there with me as we read this passage. And you know, I know in the room we've got a little bit of everything, right? We've got some of you that you're single, right? My single crowd over here, right? Some of you are, are dating, and we're, we're glad and excited that you guys are here and together for that. Um, I have a newly engaged couple that they're not here today. She's sick, and I was really sad, and she was really sad. So the good news is we're filming it. We'll put it up on our website later, and we'll tell her to go watch it as part of her marriage counseling stuff. So, But uh, we have newlyweds. We have some that uh, they're hoping to be newlyweds at some point in the near future. Well, they got to get engaged first, but we're praying for them, all right? And then there's some of you in the room that you've been married for one year. Right? Terry's back in the room, and he's been married for a little less than a year. We've got some of you in the room that you've been married for lots of years. In fact, um, Bonnie and Roy, I found out this week that on Friday of this upcoming week, they'll celebrate 54 years of marriage. Yeah. Here's what I'm saying. At the end of the day, go find out from him how to make your marriage last that long, all right? We're only coming up on 13, but hey, that's impressive, and I'm excited about that. But as I put this message together this week, I was praying for each one of you that I knew that would be in the room in all the different stages that we would see today. And my prayer was, more than anything, is, is that you'd walk out for the hope for your relationships, that you don't have to exist in a relationship that is taking on water or that is sinking or that is already sunk because God has a hope for you. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 18 of chapter 2. I've got a little bit of power if I lean back that far, so I'm going to come forward a little bit more. It says this. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And he brought them to see the man and to see what he would call them. 
And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there wasn't a helper that was found to be fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed it up in its place with just flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And then the man said this. He said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Or some of my counterparts say, wow, man, right? <laughs> well, there's some truth in that. Because she was taken out of man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And behold, the man and his wife were both naked, and neither one of them were ashamed. Let's pray. Father, you have some big stuff today. Every single one of us that are in this room are engaged in relationships. And God, even though we're going to be specifically talking more towards marriage, the things, the truths that are here apply to all of our relationships. More than anything, I pray that you would help us to, to hear you, to hear you clearly speak to us about what it is that needs to happen in our lives. And Father, I pray that each of us would be willing to respond to what you call us to. It's in your precious and holy name I pray. All right, so 21 years ago, a movie came out that swept across the world. Now, by the way, don't do any math on this here later on, all right? You just need to know that they just celebrated their 21st anniversary on the movie. And this movie actually set records around the world. It was the first movie to ever gross over $1 billion. That's B, right? That's billion with a B. And I remember stories of girls that went to go see this movie seven, eight, <laughs> nine times, right? And two new stars were born because of this movie, Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. The movie was called Titanic, the epic romance disaster movie and i was like really the ship sinks i don't even go see the movie to know what happens in the movie the ship sinks and by the way over half the people on board die who in the world would want to pay nine times to go see this movie well as it so happens i was dating a girl at the time it's true. And come Valentine's Day, she convinced me to take her to go see Titanic. And so we went. And there it was, this iconic movie. A movie that actually cost more to produce, $200 million, than the Titanic cost to build. Let that one sink in for just a second. That's crazy. And I remember some of the scenes that were in this movie. Right? There's Kate and Leonardo up on the bow of the Titanic. Right? Eyes closed. She steps up 
arms wide and he says, open your eyes. And she says, I'm flying. And you have Celine Dion. Ah, I can't sing like Celine Dion. But you have her singing in the background. And it's this moment that happens in the movie, right? Great moment, iconic moment that lasts forever. And then there was the end of the movie. The scene where Kate is floating on the wooden door. And in the backdrop, you see the ship is sinking. And she's holding on to Jack. And she says, Jack, I'll never let go. I'll never let go. 30 seconds later, he's dead. <laughs> Goodbye. What in the world happened, right? You know, I think that that scene encapsulates a lot of what happens in relationships. People come up against this idea of marriage and they want to make it work. They desire to make it work. They make a promise to make it work, but they're just not prepared, right? Couples, they want to do it. Most couples make a promise that really they're not prepared to keep. Nobody told Kate that Jack was about to die in the waters. Had she known that, maybe she wouldn't have made the same promise that she made. Nobody told her that surviving the tragedy of that sinking ship and the debris floating everywhere was going to be so hard. You know, that's kind of true about us in marriage relationships. Nobody ever tells us what it's going to be like. And some of it is, even if they did, right? We have our own picture of what marriage is going to look like. And we have this love and infatuation for the other person that, well, that's just not going to be us. Our love will conquer everything, right? Love conquers all. I'm pretty sure that's biblical. I don't think that any couple that stands up in front of a crowd of people to exchange these marriage vows says, hey, you know what I'm going to do? 12 months from now, I'm going to completely crush and devastate this person that I'm standing next to. I don't think that's anybody's plan. More often, it's that will never happen to us because our love, our infatuation, it will carry us through. But you know, this idea of perfect marriages, it's not really just a Hollywood idea, right? Hollywood stole it from somewhere. And the first thing I want you to see is, is that at creation, marriage was perfect. At creation, marriage was perfect. Now, I'm going to kind of just summarize for a second, but I want you to look back at the story. It says this, it says, Adam, for Adam, there was not found a helper that was fit for him, right? So the Lord God, and here's where I'm going to summarize, acted, right? He engaged upon that. And then Adam said this. He said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. This at last. It's really more like, this at last, 
Woohoo! That's amazing! You know, this Christmas there was a Lexus car commercial. Now, I don't make enough money to drive a Lexus, but I love watching the commercials for them because they make me think that there must be great cars, right? And there's this commercial and this teenage boy gets up out of bed and he runs past a window and he looks out the window and then he has sadness on his face and he continues on. And you're like, what in the world? And you see another scene, he's a little bit older and Christmas morning is happening. He jumps out of bed, he runs over the window, he looks out continues on and it continues on till finally he's a grown man probably nearing his 40s and he comes out on Christmas morning and he walks past the window and he almost forgets his habit of looking out the window and he turns comes back and looks out the window and there at last sitting outside is his Lexus that he's been waiting for it's that kind of joy and excitement that came over his face that is what Adam is experiencing. This, at last, after naming all of the animals, after seeing all of them, this, at last, is one that is fit for me. Woman was perfect. She was his perfect companion. They were created as equals. She was taken from his side, the rib from his side removed, because man was not supposed to lord over her or to be underneath her. Instead, they were to do life side by side. She was to complete the missing piece that was missing from him, literally. She was to be a protector because our ribs, they protect all of those organs that are inside of us and this missing hole that he had, she was to help to fulfill and to protect his blind side. Woman was to be perfect. She was. And I love what Adam says about her. He says, she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. But then I love the detail that the author gives us in here. Because he says, he says that they were one. They were one flesh. And the word that he uses here means meat or muscle. It's the stuff that is in between the bones and the flesh. It's the stuff that completes the whole body. Right? Our body doesn't work without the muscles that are there. If we just have flesh and bones, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not enough. We need the muscles to move and to articulate everything. And this oneness, when they came together, creates a perfect picture. Not only of marriage, but of who God is. Right? The desire was for man and woman to be one because in their oneness, they reflect back the true nature, the unity of who God is. Because we saw last week that he created them male and female. It was a perfect balance. And for us to reflect back to God, his true identity of who he is, it takes both male and female coming together in perfect unity in marriage. And so, yes, 
I believe that marriage is for a man and a woman. And I know that's not kosher to say today. But the picture is supposed to be one of unification that reflects back to God who he is. And a man and a man together or a woman and a woman together cannot reflect back all the nature of who God is. But here's the problem. There is no perfect spouse today. It doesn't matter what stage you're in, whether you're just dating someone, whether you've been married for 54 years, you need to understand that there is no perfect spouse. Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright does not exist. Not only that, you also need to know that what we call love and infatuation today does not cover all wrongs. It doesn't cover all wrongs. Now you may walk into marriage with this picture of, oh, I love them so much that no matter what they do, I'm still going to love them. I'm gonna tell you right now, there will come a moment where on your own accord, you will not love them anymore <laughs> with the wrongs that they account for, all right? And here's why, because we no longer live in the garden marriage is no longer perfect because of the curse dun, dun, dun. it sounds like you should say that anytime you say the curse dun, dun, dun. right all right for kicks and giggles try it with me all right so i don't feel like i'm all alone here all right i'll say the curse you say the dun, 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 dun. okay here we go the curse dun, dun, dun. see it has that ominous sound to it doesn't it and so we have something that happened at the curse. Marriage was polluted. You guys missed your cue. I'll try it again. <laughs> at the curse, marriage was polluted. It was no longer perfect. Look with me on down in chapter three. It says this, but the Lord God called the man to him and he said, where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said this. He said, the woman, oh, this is always bad. <laughs> the woman whom you gave me to be with. All right, he's not headed in a good direction here. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and then I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so God turned to the serpent, and he said, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then to the woman he said this. Ladies, I'm sorry, because I we've got two kids. 
and this happens. He said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then he says, your desires shall be towards and contrary to your husband. Now different versions say different things, so I read both parts right there. Because some say, your desires shall be towards your husband. Some say your desires will be contrary to your husband, so I'm giving you both. I wonder why us men get confused. And then he said to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are just dust, and to dust you will return. So after the creation, there is the fall, and subsequently, the curse. Oh, you guys were so good. You were very good at it. I was so, that makes me happy. Now, there are several things that happen right here in the curse. One of which involves this really neat play on words that happens with the serpent and the ground. And there's another one in verse 15 that is this incredible prophecy about Jesus coming. But you know what? You're just going to have to go Google those two things this week because they're not really in the scope of where we're headed. And so I'm just going to drop those nuggets down and tell you, go find them. All right. Because they're really, really cool. But I do want you to notice this, that the relationship between a man and a woman was altered in the curse. The relationship between a man and a woman was altered in the curse. In fact, one scholar said this. I've got, I've got the quote to put it up on the screen. He said that the solace of companionship, right, at perfection, when everything was perfect, woman was the perfect companion. She was equal to the man. And he said the solace that we have of companionship and the security of it was turned into competition and confusion. Competition and confusion. Well, we talked about why men struggle with women. We don't know if you're for us or if you're against us, right? And I, I think the author wanted to communicate all of that inside of what he was saying in this curse for women, that you should be both towards and desire after your husband but at the same time you will want to be against the things that he has because you don't want to be underneath him even though i'm now setting him above you because you led him astray and listen it causes friction inside of the marriage but then the man his curse was worse too because he had a curse of you're gonna work you're gonna be a workaholic man why do we tend to go to our works for 40, 50, 60 hours a week? It's because that's the curse that God laid down. He said, in order for you to put bread on your table, you're going to feel like you have to do all of this. And it's going to put a strain on your marriage relationship. Your wife is going to want you, and you're not going to be available for her. Because in order to provide for her needs and to get security, you're going to work. Hmm. That makes marriage really great right off the start. But it gets worse. I think that there's a hidden assassin of relationships that shows up in verse 17. It says this. It says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Now listen, men, 
This verse does not say, don't listen to your wives. That will end your marriage relationship guaranteed. All right? But it does say that God had an expectation inside of this passage. He had an expectation for Adam to listen to and to obey and to physically not do what he'd said not to do. Don't eat the fruit. Adam was physically supposed to do that, and spiritually it represented something for him. There was an unmet expectation that happened there. Recently, I listened to a, a marriage seminar, and it said the number one killer, the number one killer for marriages today is not money. It's not sex. It's not kids. It's not work. It's not any of those things, but it's this unmet expectations unmet expectations you know we come to to marriage with this idea of what it is that the partner is supposed to do right he takes out the trash she does the cooking he does the laundry or the dishes and she does the other she's supposed to take care of all the kids he's supposed to take care of the yard Right, we have these preconceived notions about what is supposed to happen. Let me just tell you a story about something that happened several years ago in, in my life, right? By the way, you can judge me for this, all right? It's okay. I know that you will whether I give you permission to or not, so I'm just going to give you permission to judge me anyways. So several years ago, we, uh, we actually didn't live in Arizona yet. We lived in Oklahoma, and uh, my lawn was beginning to look a little bit shabby, all right? I'll just say shabby. Right, and it was a really, really busy time of work, and so I was spending lots of time and effort at work and coming home late in the evenings, and it was too dark to get out to mow. I was leaving early in the mornings, which was too early to get out and mow. Saturdays and Sundays were busy because I was in ministry and we had events that were going on, and so my lawn just continued to look worse and worse and worse. One evening I came home, and I came home to find my beautiful bride out pushing the lawnmower. I ran inside, changed into clothes, even though I was dead tired, put on some shorts and a t-shirt, went out, took the mower away from her, and finished the job. She came inside, and I didn't know at the moment, but I'm pretty sure now that tears were streaming down her face because I had taken this away from her. Now, in my mind, that was a man's job. The man was supposed to do the law. Right? My dad had raised me. He mowed the lawn. He taught me how to mow the lawn. All the things in order to take care of the lawn. It was given to me. That was what I was like, this is what a man does. Now, my wife's household was a little bit different. There were no boys in her house. There were just two girls. And so her dad had taught her how to take care of the lawn. And so in her mind, she was like, there is nothing wrong with getting out to mow the lawn. In fact, it's great. I can roll up my sleeves and get a little bit of a tan, get some exercise while I'm out doing this. But I, my manhood was insulted completely. But when I took the mower away from her and huffed and puffed and finished all of it, I affected her. 
I affected her ability to be my helper, to be my help meet. And you can believe we had a fight. Oh, no, no, excuse me, a marital adjustment. <laughs> right? We don't have fights in my household. We have marital adjustments. Some are on louder scales than others, right? But the whole purpose of them is to adjust the patterns of our marriage. And we had one of those afterwards. And we hashed out. We did a little what they call a DTR, define the relationship right? And we, so we had that. We've had lots of DTRs in, in my lifetime. I'm sure some of you guys can um, relate to that, where we sit down and we define something that has gone. In fact, we have chores in my house because of DTR conversations, right? But, you know, you think that that would be clearly communicating what the expectations are. But really, all it does is it sets up the rules of the competition. That's all that that DTR is doing. Sets up the rules of the competition. Because now she does the laundry and I do the dishes, right? And so the other night she's like, hey, um, I spent three hours doing laundry. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. And in my mind, I'm like, I mean, yeah, I did the dishes. I went to work. I, you know, I, I listened to how your day was. <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. I'm like, that should get... Like, I should have, like, three out of four points going for me right here, right? I'm counting them up. There's a secret scorecard on this thing. And she's like, oh, no, your dishes took you 20 minutes. I've been doing this for three hours. Where are, where are you? What are you doing? I'm like, no, no, no. We set this up, right? You do the laundry. I do this. She's like, no, you have, like, a half a point, and I have, like, 10 or 11 points. <laughs> right? And so this companionship is threatened by a competition and the confusion that comes from unmet expectations. And to be honest, if you don't address it, it moves from being just a competition and these unmet expectations and confusion to it moves to criticism. And from criticism, it moves into combativeness. And really, if you still don't deal with it, it moves to catastrophic failure in your marriage or in any relationship. So what once was perfect now was polluted. And what's bad is, is that we live in this polluted environment today. That describes, describes all kinds of relationships that I see. In fact, I heard just recently Andy Stanley talking on this topic, and he said, look, there's no such thing as married problems. There's no such thing as marriage problems. He said, what it is, is he said, you had single person problems, and you had single person problems, and you both brought those to the marriage when you got married, and now you have two single person's problems that multiplied out as opposed to, as opposed to having marriage problems. He's right. But God knew, God knew that our relationships were broken. He knew that we were unprepared. In fact, he knew this, that on our own, we were incapable of having a marriage relationship. We're incapable of it because the waters were so polluted. 
And so God had a plan. God sent Jesus. And Jesus' purpose was to restore our relationships. In fact, next week we're going to look at the cross. Right? And you're going to see the cross has two beams on it. There's a beam that goes vertical and there's a beam that goes horizontally. And the vertical beam restored our relationship between us and the Father. Restored us vertically. But the cross also restores us horizontally. So the last thing that I want you to understand is, is that at the cross, marriage was purified. Marriage was purified. Because the cross stretched out horizontally to bring back together male and female. And to allow us to be able to do something different. You see, the cross moved us from competition to completion. From competition to completion. Because no longer should a married couple who, in the light of the cross, compete with each other, but instead they need to understand that the competition has already been completed by the work of Jesus on the cross. I'm going to... There's another great section in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to read all of it, but all of it applies. Ephesians 5, 22 through 31. I'm just going to read the very end of it here. Because you see, the cross allows us to live out relationships, especially a marriage relationship. And check out what it says in Ephesians. It says this. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Sound familiar? Oh, we heard that in Genesis earlier. And Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying this to you. It refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, this passage shows us that the cross changed everything. And Paul says, look, I don't only want you to see this as a relationship between just you guys horizontally. He says, I want you to see it as a relationship between Christ and the church. And look, the church is not really that lovable. If you were here with us several weeks ago when we had our preview services, we said the church is, it's a group of Jesus followers who are committed to living out the mission and the message of Jesus Christ together. That's what the church is. But the church, man, we have some ugly moments. The Crusades, right? Yeah, that's pretty ugly. We, we've had some moments where, even recently, as a Southern Baptist, hey, we're going to boycott Disney. Oh, that looks loving for the church to do, right? We're going to bomb, well, I mean, we didn't personally do this, but we're going to bomb abortion clinics in the name of Jesus. Those are not loving things. And Jesus didn't say, oh, because you did these bad things, I no longer love you. Instead, he said, no, 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 I already completed showing you my love for you. I died for you. 
That's powerful. It's already completed. And so because of that, our relationships can be restored. And we can move out of self-centeredness, and we don't even need to move to other-centeredness. You know, that's what marriage conferences get wrong all across the United States today, is they say, what you need to be is other-person-focused. If you'll just focus on the other person, it'll solve all of your marriage problems. And the problem is, is that you can't. You can't focus on the other person because you have a nature inside of you, a sin nature inside of you that says, me, me first. It's an impossibility. And so Jesus said, I don't want you to focus on the other person. I want you to focus on me. And we have to move from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. And when we move in our relationships to focusing on Christ, living out the example that he set for us. There's no longer a scorecard that we get to keep in the competition. Because he already completed it. The confusion of unmet expectations. I don't get to have any expectations of my wife. I get to have expectations of my Savior who meets all of them. following him, I'm going to end up loving her the way that he wants me to. And if she follows him, she'll respect me the way that I want to be respected as a man. He created them both male and female. He said to love them both with respect Now, Charles, are you saying that that'll fix all relationships? I'm going to tell you no. It doesn't. Because relationships take two people. Always takes two. It's a tango. <laughs> Just making sure you're with me, right? <laughs> it takes two to tango. And so in the relationship, if you're the only one who moves from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness, your relationship might still sink. Because one person can lead us all the way to the catastrophe. But here's where your solace comes in. Is that in Romans 8.28, he gives us a promise and says that all things work together for good for those who are called according to my purposes in Christ Jesus. If you're living out a life of Christ-centered you can hang on to that promise. And even though the catastrophe may happen in the moment, you can know that they're still good because God is good. And as some of my friends, pastor friends have said, he's got this. Right? He's got this. And that's what helps our relationships. You know, maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? If I was being honest with myself, I exist in self-centeredness, not in Christ-centeredness. I don't even know what it takes or means to do that, but I know that I don't want the relationships around me to end in catastrophe. And, what it, and if what it takes is being restored by the cross, can you tell me more? The answer is yes. If that's you, 
at the end of the service, I'll be back at the back by the sound booth. I want you to come find me and say, I'm headed towards catastrophe. Can you point me to who can help? And I'll point you to my best friend, Jesus, and what it means to be a follower of him and how that will radically change everything in your life. Father, I pray. I pray for the relationships in this room. Father, even though I strive to be Christ-centered every day, know that there are plenty of moments where I live in the competition and I live in the confusion. God, there's even days where I live in criticism and combativeness. Would you help me? Would you help my friends that are here? Help us to grow to be more like Jesus. And in doing so, write our relationships. Father, I give you all of the glory and the honor as the only one who can.